and welcome again to that little round table known as Breaking Bread with Brandon. I'm really excited to have this podcast going on, being able to talk to all of my friends and being able to expand my horizons. That's really what my goal has been. Uh, Before, in my past life, I had a podcast called Breaking Boundaries, where I interviewed people with various disabilities, which I will be uploading various archival episodes of as bonus material during the week. So if you subscribe to the podcast, maybe you might be one of those people that I interviewed within the last few years, and it'll be there for you to enjoy. Uh, Previously, it was on Mixcloud and on the radio station live. Uh, But I'm really excited to talk to people of various backgrounds, various interests, and just various aspirations and viewpoints on things. And I'm not just saying this because this is my fiance and the woman I look forward to marrying. But honestly, I really enjoy this interview with Amy Billman. More information about her at speeddots.com and for job offers, Amy at amybillman.com. And I've said it once, I've said it a million times. My guest today, Breaking Bread with Brandon Charles and Amy Billman. So here we go. This is just going to be a really casual conversation. We're drinking tea. We're just talking about whatever. And I'm just happy to have you on here because, quite frankly, it's fun to have somebody on the show who doesn't think they'd have anything to add and who underestimates themselves. But you actually are quite accomplished and you need to realize that more. Just glad to have you today there, Amy. Well, I'm glad to be on, Brandon. Thank you for having me. I got to say, it's really strange being interviewed by somebody who I live with. <laughs> yes. All right. So how about this? We're going to start it off like this then, just to really break the ice. What is the most annoying habit that I have around the house that you would think, oh, man, like, I wish he would not do that? Oh, yeah. boy. Um... I don't know. I try to. I usually always do put the toothpaste back, and I usually. You put, yeah, you don't. It, usually, it's it's um, you put, you tend to put. You never put stuff back in the same place twice. A lot of times when it's house stuff. I try so to. I didn't I even know. know this. See, here no. we go. I'm learning <laughs> I think new things. Sometimes, I think sometimes you think you 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 did. And it doesn't bother me. Like, I'm not, it's not like a deal breaker on the relationship or anything. But it's like, you know how, and you've probably lived with people that did this too, and they were probably Mm. mostly cited. But you know how you, say you want, I don't know, say you're looking for your radio or whatever, and you put it down somewhere on the table. But you didn't put it down exactly in the place that you thought you put. So you go to reach and you have blank table, right? Where you thought it was. Yeah. It's that kind of spot. thing. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, okay, where is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I, I misplace uh, the speaker this, you got for me all the time. Which, by the way, is on the table in case you don't know when you go. Oh, okay. Well, next. that's good to know. And I want to listen to stuff with my Bluetooth because, speaker after this interview. Because as, as one does... Brandon over here thinks that the couch arms are where the speakers should live. Well, so it's right in the... Okay, yes, okay. Our couch arm is big enough for that little Bluetooth speaker. It's literally a tiny Bluetooth speaker. It fits on there, and we have a small apartment, and essentially there's a kitchen and the bedroom. I figure it's a good spot. I can play music. She can hear it in the kitchen, or we can hear it on the couch, and it just makes sense. In my mind, it makes sense, yeah, apparently. But, but you miss, but you, you misplace stuff a lot, and that doesn't annoy me, but it does annoy me for you, because I see how frustrated you get and yes. I feel bad because it doesn't help that you don't have a place for everything to go necessarily I mean we made you a oh, box that's gonna bother for all you of so your bad. audio stuff you're what? so like so organized to a point where I'm sure like you see my very much lack of organization and you're like I want to rip his hair out well here's the thing so so I am organized I hope we're not boring people to death. So so I am an organized person, but if you looked at the inside of my desk drawers, that's a different story. 
like on surfaces I have I do pretty much have everything in its place but on my desk drawers I have everything everywhere mainly because See. my desk drawers I don't really use them I just throw crap in there and just you know yeah well, I'm but the no exact yeah you're, he he has a nightstand thingy bookshelf thingy she won't touch purpose it this is a nightstand next to his bedside I don't even touch it because no. it is a pile of overflowing stuff and i'm never surprised when and you i know can't where everything's find at. something but i know where everything's at usually except your headphones usually your radio and your headphones yeah your but i never keep them up there find. that's the thing though i always keep them <laughs> in a neat little pile next to the bed where things go and i just kind of have but a little spot but giving you a, yeah giving you a repurposing a bin for your audio stuff was probably one of the smarter things that we did though because yes, that was, that was a mess that was really hard to keep that all straight it's a lot of wires and cords yep. and stuff so, so if i am gonna pick one for me <clears throat> it's that you downplay your accomplishments too much and that you don't mm. see the value you bring to things for example just me. the phone that I'm recording this on has a screen protector that was made by a company called Speed Dots, which you might know something about. Maybe. Mm. What's Speed Dots? So Speed Dots is uh, we started in 2011 and we make um, a screen protector that basically has dots on it they're braille dots but they don't are they're not letters and they uh show you um they they correlate to all the but the uh the icons that are on the screen yeah um they essentially so, a virtual keyboard with dots so on it's it. basically yeah the iphone keyboard is flat essentially we made buttons where there's not any so if you are sighted and um, you look at one of our f um, a phone with our screen protector over the top of it, you will actually see a dot, for example, over the A on the keypad. And you'll see a dot over the messages icon. So yeah, so, so we make it so that you, if you're blind, you can very easily use your finger to kind of orient yourself to what's around the screen. It's kind of like, um, nobody that can see will really know that not understand this necessarily but as blind people we travel and landmarks are really helpful you know if you know that there's a pole certain place or a you know you, you rely on those things and they kind of help you orient and this is the same um, premise kind of behind speed dots well that's something i love <laughs> because um i've managed to get used to the touchscreen interface with the iphone over the last several years but it still was lacking for me and i wasn't really able to do things with a maximum potential uh, because well you can kind of guess around where the letters are i've been using computers since they really became mainstream mm -hmm. back in 94 95 somewhere around there um, and I really think that helped in as far as mastering the keyboard, but being able to precisely pinpoint something on a keyboard on the phone is very useful. It's amazing actually now how much our iPhones get used almost more than computers these days. Oh, yeah. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Oh, yeah. My phone, if... I mean, I will do stuff on the computer, but my phone, I can pretty much do everything on my phone, except for work stuff. I can do everything on my phone, most of the stuff that I can do on my computer. Web browsing, email, I mean, it really is that way. Um, and so, but but yes, the, the screen protector for the phone, it's kind of like, you know, you learn how to type on the computer and you have touch memory, basically. And so mm -hmm. this gives you the same thing. I, as a matter of fact, when I have changed phones and haven't gotten a chance to get a new screen protector um, because they, uh, I have a business partner and, and they're actually stored in his apartment downstairs, uh, um, I have to, so I have that lag and I have blank screen. Because I've used a screen protector, a tactile screen protector for so long, basically since we started the business in 2011, um, I kind of have a little bit of memory as to where things are on the screen, but it without it, but it really is helpful. Um, we have customers that will turn off the um, 
speech output part of their screen reader and just use the dots to locate letters on the keyboard to to do things to send texts and stuff so oh wow yeah it's a very cool product yeah and it's amazing the assistive tools that have come out that makes technology more user-friendly to blind and visually impaired people like things are so much more mainstream now than they used to be it's crazy Oh yeah, I wish some of this technology was available um, when I was I was a music major, and um, there, when you're a music major, one of the things you have to do is do composition, um, and for people that can see, there are computer programs that you go in and you, um, you know, you you type in everything, and it makes it into a musical score for you, and you can spit it out and, and print it. But that option was not available to me when I was in college. So when I wanted to do stuff like that, I had to actually dictate all that to a reader. And so if you think about it, you're saying, okay, you know, um, fourth line, you know, this space, and it's going to be, you know, this group of, of oh, notes, man. you know, two quarter notes, four sixteenth notes, you know, A, B, C, G, Oof. you know, y- you have to dictate all of uh, that. And it was uh, seriously a pain. It was a huge pain. That's dedication. Now, now, well, it was frustrating. I actually, um, I changed my major um, because I had several more courses of upper division theory and composition. And one of them was Oof. orchestrations. And the idea of having to actually compose something for an orchestra like that just caused me a huge panic attack and nausea. So I was just like, all right. Oh boy. So I actually changed my major from a Bachelor of Music to a Bachelor of Arts and Sciences so that I could cut off some of my upper division theory. Still vocal performance, but right. um, it, it gave me a few more electives in the arts and sciences, which I loved because I got to take acu- acoustical physics, which was fun. But um, oh, that is interesting. Wow. That was fun. It was a class full of musicians. That. It was great. It was really cool. You, you so know, basically you got an to, entire like nerd army, essentially. Yes. Yes. An entire nerd <laughs> army. Pretty much all of us. It was it was. One side was music majors, and the other side was... There was a couple science, physics majors, but most of it was all music people. This is how movies like (laughs) Revenge of the Nerds get made, right right there in rooms like Um, that. But now, if you're blind, there are still some challenges, but technologically speaking, for music, it's a lot... It's so much better. Um, You've got software for recording... um, You've got access to, um, if you read Braille music, which I do, um, and I did, which helped me at least, because I could at least dictate stuff down, write stuff down in Braille, and then re- tell it to my reader. But um, there's there are programs now that, will, that are accessible that will let you score things. And so it's not without its challenges, but I would love to, I don't want to go back to school, but I wish I was kind of, being brought up in a way in this time so that I could do everything with all the technology that's available because yeah I would have made college so much better and less frustrating <laughs> so when you got involved with music what was your impetus to get involved with that what was the inspiration so obviously you were probably a fan of music growing up uh, what was the transition like like how did you personally get involved with music and then make the decision hey i'm gonna actually try to do this oh dude so i was one of those stupid i was always a nerd i was a nerdy little kid i was a nerdy junior high kid i was a nerdy teenager and i'm kind of a nerdy adult so Uh, yeah i can attest to this so the point of all that nerdliness is is that i um i i always sang like even as a little kid i was always making up stupid songs i was singing to all the freaking commercials on the radio and the tv um i would sit down at a piano and i would learn how to play random crap by ear you know songs that i heard on the radio stuff that i liked um it's uh just I would that was just always my thing like I was just always 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 in music classical music it did not matter it did not matter um so I started taking piano lessons when I was nine and when I was I think I was like six or seven um might have been five even when my mom bought us a little 
Baldwin upright piano for the living room, which we had pretty much until I graduated high school. Um, and so I started taking piano and, um, you know, fortunately, of course, at that time we had, you know, music in, in schools. I'm sad to see that that's kind of going Yeah, that is really that, sad. That really just hurts me. Hugely yeah, it really does. Um, it's it's not it's really people people think that music is kind of a brush off and i've even been told this when i apply for a job and a recruiter looks at my resume and sees i have a bachelor of arts in vocal performance they're like oh so you did nothing but sing and play music for your whole college career I'm like, no um yes i did sing and yes i did play music but i took 15 hours of credits of classes i had to practice two hours a day i had choir rehearsals that were usually a couple hours i had uh my voice lessons which were usually an hour or two you have to rehearse with your accompanist during the week i mean your weeks are full and the one thing you learn is discipline and time management because if you don't have those things you're gonna fail hugely and my freshman year and my freshman year i almost did because it was a huge adjustment um but you have to it's not a brush off it's not what i people are saying it's a mickey mouse degree it's not a mickey mouse degree at all but so um i i got off track but so so i was always playing and singing and i i was in every kind of little elementary school music class that i could be in if there was like a youth choir or something at church i would be in that and so it really was just a progression and i was so immersed in music when i was in junior high and high school i did um competitions at the state level um, you know, and did very well in those. I was selected to be a part of, um, we have these things, I think they're in all states, but basically it's a choir that they make up of people that audition um, around the state, and it's like the best singers in the state, um, and they put them together, and you get to do a clinic with a really well-known conductor, and uh, you learn a bunch of music really fast in like two or three days, and in my case, I learned it all by ear, which was lots of fun, um and uh and and you perform for for people um and so i did all these things and really i hate to say it but it came down to i was so immersed in music and i enjoyed it so much that i didn't really have any other interests when i decided to go to school and it's that sounds kind of like oh man that's why but it really is why um, it's why I, um, I I decided to to major in music because that was all I had done. I mean, I lived and breathed it for so long that I didn't really know what else to do. The only other thing I was interested in is writing. And at the time when I was going back to school, my goal was um, that I was going to teach voice at the college level. That was what I was going to do. Um, and so, so I thought I had a career trajectory going at the time something i want to talk about that is something you brought up which is also unintentionally a theme of my podcast the last few weeks is that i've interviewed people in the audio industry Mm -hmm. uh, people who are singers people who are voiceover artists uh, and the thing that they all have in common is how they've been belittled by other people who don't have the creative chops to do that sort of a career or oh, you're just singing songs or oh you're just talking into a microphone but meanwhile you know those people who are doing their job daily you know it's the same sort of discipline and it's the same sort of creative problem solving with both yeah whether it's in the audio industry or whether it's with what somebody does and something that is really off-putting to me is when somebody belittles someone's career choice because quite frankly if they're paying their bills and they're doing what they need to do or if they're passionate about it and they're still able to leverage it for charity or whatever they do it for it's still important it still matters and it still has value and i I just i don't get this whole propensity for people to outright dismiss something just because they're not good at it no i think I think that's that's them leveraging their own insecurities. You know, they they don't have the wherewithal to to decide that doing their artists have a similar problem. Oh, you're just painting. 
you know, or you're uh-huh. just you're just modeling clay. It's okay. The same, then you come up here and you do the it, same, then, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> like, the same. It's the same kind of thing. Writers. I mean, I think mm-hmm. all of us creators, Everyone. whether you are doing voiceover, whether you're acting, whether you're um, singing, you know, making art, theater. It doesn't matter. I think there is that. Um, you know, you're like you're totally wasting your life mindset, and I don't think, and I think, I don't know for sure, but I've always wondered: are they they're insecure, but are they jealous also that that maybe they, yeah they don't have the talent they don't have either the talent nor do they have the 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 scrappiness because let's face it, we're scrappy, we're all scrappy. You have to be scrappy if you're gonna live and die. On the fact that your art, whether you're it's radio, whether it's voiceover, whether it's um, singing, I don't care what it is, that's gonna be what's gonna feed you every day. Or, or even if you even if you have to like, you know, bust tables at a restaurant so that you can t- can get to that point. If you're you're scrappy, you have yeah. to. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> I don't think everybody's that scrappy. No, but what what is strange to me is what is the activity that most people are likely to do when they get off work and go to a bar or whether they go home put on an album or put on a television show or put on something that didn't just magically come into existence now maybe and this is kind of where I think the insecurity stems from. And this is all just speculation, of course, but it sure. makes sense in my mind. But, you know, you're doing something in that sense that makes you happy. But people love the glory and the fame that comes with it. And they're doing a job that they're probably miserable doing and they're not right. a big fan of. But they just think, oh, well, you get to wake up every day and everything's sunshine and rainbows. And you could just get to sing and you get every gig that you go for. And it's just like, they, no. Yeah, they, they, they forget that nine times out of ten, I mean, I did tons of auditions and I didn't, I didn't get I didn't get that. Right. And and to me, that was actually my wake-up call. <clears throat> that was where I stepped back and said, okay, I am not meant to be a performer. Um, yeah. You know, not not as my full-time gig, right? For me, the I, I knew pretty much when I graduated college, um, I didn't end up going for my master's degree in, in um, vocal pedagogy, which is basically the study of teaching voice. Um, uh-huh. I didn't end up doing that because I had a, um, I, had, I had injured my knee and I had to have knee surgery. And oh, man. there was a rush to do it right after I graduated so that I would still be under my dad's insurance so I'd get good treatment and good care and Medicaid wouldn't pay for it. Um, yeah. And so, <laughs> gotta love our healthcare system, right? But that's mm-hmm. a thing for a whole nother year. Oh yeah, um, I won't get into all but, that, but yeah, No, sure. this is not the place for that. But but so that was a thing. And so I graduated and it was a pretty extensive surgery. For, so it was a year of recovering in therapy and stuff. So <clears throat> after that... You know, and my mother and other people had told me at the time, well, if you don't go right away, you're not going to go back. And they were right. Because when I was done, my focus was not on, okay, let's go back to school. I wasn't in the school mode anymore because I'd been out of school for like a year and a half. And mm-hmm. so my, my process then was, okay, I have to find a job. I have to find a job. I have to get an apartment. And I have to get out of my parents' house. And, and so... And I never did go back, not for music anyway. Um, and um, and I see, I see my my classmates, um, and some of them are just doing music on the side, kind of like right. me. There, uh, until I moved to California, I was always in choirs and things like that. Um, you know, whatever I could kind of get into. Um, and I see a lot of people doing that. And then I also see a bunch of people are you know working as professional musicians and. And I do have a little bit of a stab of mm, envy or regret because I see that they're kind of living out their passions and that they're having a great time and not that it's easy, but, you know, um, and I miss that life. I miss when that was kind of my passion and I got to live and breathe it. But, but I also know that <clears throat> it's hard, especially as a person with a disability, to be noticed you know 
Um, I auditioned for Disney for um, for a group there for a paid gig, and they told me that I wasn't their type. I didn't look their type. Well, why? Well, because you can't make eye contact with the audience. You can't make eye contact with the audience, and you're not going to visually react. And was that discrimination from what people claim are the happiest place on earth and the most joyful? You know, yeah, it was. But to me, I didn't view it as something that I wanted to. You know, I knew I was going to have discrimination in the job market also. Right. Yeah. No matter what you decide when to you're, go for. When you're performing and you're, that's kind of your heart that you're sort of putting into every song that you do. Even if you're auditioning, you're giving it your all. And so for me, I really didn't want to put my heart out there for people to decide that I wasn't worthy of um, their program, their company, their organization, simply because I didn't look right presentationally speaking because my eyes don't look the same way that everybody else's do um, because I don't because I'm not going to react to the audience visually like everybody else does on stage um, I have talked to people because I have friends that do um, work for them and they have said you know you probably should have fought that a little bit more but you know at me at the time that was very shy Amy who didn't really have the backbone and the security to, to sort of kick ass and take names so to speak and so you know I wasn't going to I wasn't going to fight that one but <laughs> but but it is a thing I mean and, and I know people who audition for operas and don't get in for similar reasons or they get cast as blind people um, or they get cast as the beggar or the, the person with the lesser. Even if they have the vocal chops for it, they get cast as the lesser in the show because of their lack of sight. And I, I think you really have to love your art and love your craft enough to decide that you really want to put up with that. And I didn't want to put up with that because I knew that the general working world was going to be hard enough. And is it? And it is. Um, yeah. But there's a difference between applying for job after job and putting your art out there for everybody to judge and criticize yeah. and still it's like getting. It's putting your diary out on, there, so essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like reading, it's like putting your diary out there for everybody to read and for people to tell you, oh, you're just not good enough. And, yeah. you know, you look this way and you need to look this way. And it's just like, no. Mm -mm. So, yeah. <laughs> it's finding that fine line between the compromise that you inevitably have to make, but also honoring who you are and your truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, if I want to go to somebody's community choir, most of the time, um, the most questions they'll ask is, you know, if I tell them I'm, I learn by ear, because I can read music, but I still, my ear is still the better learner of the two because um, I didn't learn Braille music until I went to college, and so I'm still a better by-ear learner than I am a sight reader. Um, and so the discussion usually is, okay, so how can I help you? Or, you know, how do you want me to, to, to let you know when I've cut off, just so that, you know, since I can't actually see the hand motions there, you know, you don't want to be that lone voice in the <laughs> choir still singing when everybody else stops. Yeah. And once they kind of see that it's not a big deal, that I can kind of pull my own weight along with everybody else and I can communicate with the people that are around me to give me very um, subtle signals that no one else can see while we're on stage if it's something that I need that need. Um, you know, it's it's not a big deal. And, and so um, th that end of the music, you know, field kind of has been more accepting I think I was talking about this with Scott last <laughs> week and, and I'm apparently going to do it again despite the fact that I always make fun of people who do use numbers higher than 100% but uh, this is truth though you almost have to put 120% into everything you do as a person with a disability because you have to market yourself and not only that but you're sort of proving that you're even capable of doing it in the first place uh, as that sort of extra level of you know tough enough to make it in any career path it seems 
Honestly, I think 120 percent is being. I think we have to put a thousand. I think we have to put a thousand percent. I could. Yeah, we we really. And I don't like it when people use those numbers either. But I really, I feel like we, 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 wow, we really do have to put a thousand percent into it because you have to show and. Yeah, we can all argue, and I know there's some people that are going to listen to this. Like, well, you shouldn't have to. No, you shouldn't have to. There we shouldn't should have, have to, but there's reality. We should yeah. be a world that is accepting, that is diverse, that is okay with differences, whether it's because you're LGBTQ, whether it's because you are blind, you're in a wheelchair. I don't care what the scenario is. There should be equality and acceptance and a lack of discrimination but the fact is it's not where we live we live in a world that is very much judgmental and has a very limited view of what people that are different from them can do and so yes people with disabilities you really you got to put a thousand percent into it and absolutely there are people with disabilities who have gotten very fortunate and what makes me sad about that is is that they don't always know this isn't that for everyone. They have to put a thousand percent in because maybe they've gotten very lucky and they've just been dropped into situations that, you know, and gotten jobs and gotten gigs and gotten, you know, whatever it is. And then they're thrown off that mountain and they have a really hard time adjusting to the fact that, oh crap, <laughs> yeah. that wasn't actually good enough. I have to put a thousand percent in. And, and it's hard. It really is. It's an it's an uphill. It's it's kind of an uphill battle. Um, focus, you know? I think, is important. I think <laughs> focus is probably the most important thing. And I and I had to realize this coming into my own over the last few years mm-hmm. is that it's important to be aware of the discrimination and the problems, but it's also important to be aware of my abilities and not condoning that discrimination and being able to have it in my mind that I know what I'm worth and I know that I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to give it this and I'm also going to have a gratitude for whatever I can get. I know much like me, you've done a lot of contract jobs and I definitely did not want to let this conversation go by without talking about one I know you frequently like to bring up and it's a really interesting position. The one you did with Easter Seals. So Easter Seals, um, I actually had um, went to them because I was in grad school and my mom's like, we, she had worked for a disability organization herself. And she's like, yeah, you know, there's this thing that Easter Seals does. You should call them and see if they can hire you to do something. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to the person that was in charge and she's like, well, you know, cause I'd sent her my resume. <laughs> And she's like, um, the people that we serve and we put into jobs are intellectually, you know, they're they're very much not intellectual. They're very academically delayed, and um, because it was a thing called supported employment, uh-huh. and um, it. But she's like, we have this internship kind of thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. And so I had to apply, and and I got in, and and so I was. There, well, I worked with their marketing team. Um, I was marketing coordinator. I was job coach. I was um, web administrator um, because they got a grant that actually um, they put people with disabilities in jobs, and, and we were kind of taught how to do web content writing and stuff like that. And because I already liked to write, that was great. And so I I did a lot of the marketing stuff. I did a lot of the newsletters and stuff. But I also got to meet um, clients and I got to help them um, in their jobs. Supported employment is basically situations where... um, they you can the person can work but they need somebody to kind of hang out with them and make sure they're staying on task and maybe even sometimes show them how to do the job and so you know we would have people you know show people how to do like if they were washing dishes at a restaurant or if they were you know um and and so they just can't be alone by themselves on the job and 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 work kind of independently because right. you know maybe they have maybe there are uh, I can't say autism maybe they are neurodivergent 
and they can't um, <laughs> and they can't they, they need um, to 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 have some help to kind of stay on task or to know you know there are some people um, that they will get so engrossed in their task that if you leave them to their own devices they could be there 10 hours later still entering data and oh, so wow. and so sometimes it's even just somebody to be there and be like hey you gotta go take time. a break now yeah um you know mm-hmm. and and i wish i had that in my brain that had that level of dedication that didn't think about it because yeah i would i was just the opposite i would like look at the clock is it break time yet mm-hmm. yeah right. <laughs> um but it was a lot of fun because I got to, it was the one job that I've had in my life where I can honestly say that I was um, respected for what I brought to the table as a person with a disability, but also just for what I could do. Right. Um, it unfortunately didn't work out to be a permanent situation because we um, didn't have, we, we kind of lost our funding and stuff. but. Um, it was it was a very very awesome opportunity for me during that time what would you say is your favorite experience or one that you would call the most rewarding Mm. gosh I don't know that I have one I think what was most rewarding for me um was just seeing how someone's life could be changed by being accepted in the workplace despite their disability like yeah um that makes sense you know if somebody for example wanted to um you know do uh because it wasn't just, you know, there's a lot of talk, of course, in the disability um, spaces about, you know, sheltered workshops and stuff like that. There were some of those placements, but that wasn't everything. You know, so if somebody, you know, wanted to be around animals, you know, and they were able to actually, um, we could liaison with like a, a veterinarian who was willing to let them come and help the techs, you know, wash the dogs and stuff like that, or a dog groomer and help them wash, you know, limits obviously to what, you know, you can do, but that was just so exciting. And that probably made them so happy. Like they get to work the job cleaning the dogs. Like doggies. And that was so exciting. And I know for some of us, we'd be like, what? But really when you have been sent a message that kind of says what you can't do, when you have somebody that, can put you in a situation that you can do that you want to do and you have that opportunity it's really cool and and so i think that was probably the most rewarding thing was just to see that what was being done was positive that you know um that people were getting confidence just from being able to do um a job like you know getting to bathe the doggies you know i mean it that that i think is that's huge you come off as someone who's extremely confident and someone who really has their stuff together. Uh, what were you always kind of? I know you're laughing at this because I know some days it's like you wonder. And I know you know better too because you live with me. So it's just really funny that you asked that question the way that you did. Yeah. Well, it's, the thing is, is that I also see who you are versus who you think you are. Some days, some days you think you don't have it all together and you're still figuring it out. And I know that you are to a certain degree as far as what you want to do for your career and things you want to do ultimately but overall you were definitely a go-getter type i mean throughout your life you uh seemed to at least in my estimation have the support to at least follow through with this stuff did you find that you had the resources at least uh when you were going up to kind of seek that independence and to get that footing at least in as far as advocating for yourself well so when i was born um my i was very well first of all i'll back up i was very fortunate to have support early on um so when i was born and i was born three i was born premature um and so i was in the hospital for like a few months um you know and when it was when when um it was 
for sure known that I was not going to have sight. You know, my mom had me when she was 22. My parents didn't have any idea of, right. you know, raising a blind kid. But everybody told her, don't raise her like she's any different. And so I think that is key, first of all. If nobody gives parents that instruction, they're on it. They're, I think a lot of people aren't aren't going to necessarily know how or what they yes. should do. They panic um, and then They panic shelter. and they think, yeah. And so she, and I don't remember the ins and outs of how it came to be, but she aligned herself with um, people who got her in touch with a woman who ended up being my O&M. O&M is, stands for Orientation and Mobility for the Uninitiated. And basically, it's it's where we as blind people learn how to walk around and use a cane and cross streets and not get smushed by cars and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but sh- but so she was in my life from I think around a year, maybe eighteen months, and right. was my mobility instructor all the way up till I graduated high school. She wow. taught me. She she helped me in kind of learning how to walk and how to kind of get around my house because I was a very timid blind child. I was afraid to like walk around without holding on to stuff. I didn't like to walk on the grass and my bare feet. I didn't either. That was the weirdest thing. I remember when you told me that one day and I was like, oh my goodness. I remember them being and and it's probably not existent anymore, but there was a camcorder home video of just them trying to keep me off the grass when I was at my pappy's place because yeah, like when I was like three or four, it was just the weirdest feeling thing, especially when it got a little taller, especially southern grass. There is different. I don't know what it was, but southern grass is different than the the northern grass apparently uh, like, i didn't like the dry florida yes, grass on my footies, yes on my south carolina <laughs> was a lot the same in pennsylvania where i grew up around pittsburgh it was not so much like that i don't recall <laughs> it ever being a thing in pennsylvania i grew up on hills uh but uh in south carolina yeah and when i touched the dry grass it just freaked me out <laughs> like i totally get you but but so she taught me she taught me how to sit in a chair she taught me how to drink from a straw like she she mm-hmm. did a lot of things it matters and she sent and she sent the message she was new out of college apparently when she started working from working with mm-hmm. me um but she sent the message to my mom to not do anything differently than you would do raising any other kid so right. what that meant was my mom became like monster super advocate and she did she you know, a lot of people feared my mother <laughs> because if I wasn't getting what I needed, she was going to call and she was pretty much going to yell at them, which, mm-hmm. okay, maybe that isn't always the way you should do things. But the fact is she was, she was a bulldog. She did not, she didn't play. She was going to make sure that her kid got what she was entitled to under the law and you know that every the people were doing their jobs and and so <clears throat> growing up under those circumstances i learned how to be a good advocate you know now my advocating style is different than my mom's and i think we all have different advocating styles but yeah you eventually come into your own but 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 you know i didn't want to be i didn't want to be I didn't want to have people afraid of me. I didn't want to have people not deal with me, but I also didn't want to, you know, be a be a milk toast either, right? And mm-hmm. so you have to find a a mid a midpoint somewhere. But but because of all her advocating, I learned how to advocate for myself. And right. and and so in that respect, that's kind of how, you know, watching her having that message sent to me that you could do whatever you wanted to. Like I used to <laughs> When I was a little kid, probably about three or four, for some reason at that time, Red Lobster was like one of my favorite restaurants. <laughs> we all were kids when kids. One time she asked, I know, one time she asked me what I wanted to do and she said that I said something along the lines of, because I was fascinated with, my mom at the time worked in an office, and it was the mid mid to mid 70s about 78 79 so they had the real high heels and the platforms and stuff and so i was fascinated as a little child oh god this is her this is terrible uh, with right. her high heel shoes so apparently i said that i wanted to be <laughs> i 
wanted to be a waitress at the Red Lobster and I wanted to wear high heel shoes. And my mother used to use that in presentations that she would give to parents as a let your kids have, I wouldn't call that a big dream, right? But let your kids right. have those things and don't say, oh, you can't do that because you're blind. They'll eventually figure out that they can't do that because they're blind if you raise them properly. But you don't say, oh, well, you can't ever do that because you're blind. And so I didn't get that. Because maybe there's a way to do it. Like, you know, it it might be on a smaller level. Because you don't know at that that age that there's other types of waitressing or catering or things like that, you know, that you can do. And if you grow up and that's still your dream to be in the restaurant field, then hey, maybe there is something hey, you can do. Maybe there's out. a way. I mean, there's chefs it was just out there. A stupid, you know, little kid weird thing. But but oh, yeah. we all have nobody those dreams. Yeah. said but because nobody said no, you can't do this thing, as stupid as it is, I grew up kind of not having a I always knew there was limits and there were things that I couldn't do, but I never felt like I couldn't do something. You know, there's a difference. There's knowing that you have limits and there's having a sense of you're never going to be able to do this thing because you just can't because you're blind and you just can't and the world's not open to you. So I never felt like the world was kind of closed off to me. I knew that the world wasn't always going to be accepting of me. Um, I got that message sent a lot. I was bullied in fifth grade before bullying was used as a phrase for everything. Um, The teacher encouraged it. I changed schools, and that was wonderful. Um, And I had a similar situation in junior high, and so I knew the world wasn't going to just be with open arms and accept me, but, um, but I never felt like there was something that I couldn't do. You know, and so How? even when I was in high school and I wanted to try out for drama, you know, nobody ever said, okay, you can't be in this musical because you're blind. We sat down and figured out how to make it so I could learn the dance moves right. and how I could how I could do it, you know. Um, and so it, it, I think that's something a lot of kids don't get. Um, and I was very blessed to have. And so, so that's kind of how I guess I learned to be an advocate I wasn't always the most confident person I still don't think I'm the most confident person even though I can come across that way um, I was painfully shy in junior high and high school especially and even some into college and people thought I was really stuck up um, because I was just just quiet and just terrified <laughs> of everybody <laughs> so um, you know it, it it wasn't all sunshine and roses of course where did that point come that you felt like you started to gain more of that confidence like when you were able to speak more openly and be more out there because it definitely seems like even if you're still looking for it personally within yourself you still are good at being a representative and an advocate of yourself if you as you said well i'll be honest until probably about a year or so i mean I, I've slowly gotten better, but I could always, I was always more comfortable singing up in front of people than I was talking in front of people. Right. Um, I, I still, there's still a level of people that terrify me. Um, you know, and I can stand up for myself if I need to, but it, it was always a very anxiety ridden experience. Um, but I think kind of putting myself out there more and making myself talk. Um, we've talked about this and I think you've sort of seen this. Clubhouse was huge for me. Right. And that was only since like February. Um, Clubhouse was, was a huge thing for me because um, I, I kind of have always been afraid to talk to strangers, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. afraid to sort of put myself out there and... Um, interject myself into a conversation interject is not the right word but who cares no um, you know something like this would have scared the hell out of me um and just made me want to puke so um but when you get thrown into a situation like clubhouse when nobody can see you and everybody has you have to talk to each other and you just do and so i right. started hanging out in the voiceover rooms 
Um, and I did a couple readings in some of the voiceover rooms. And I just started kind of putting myself out there because I decided that, okay, in a situation like Clubhouse, you kind of can't necessarily just sort of sit on the sidelines. You can, but if you're, but, but it's harder because, you know, you're going to be invited up to speak. Yeah. Or, or, you know, it's harder to get away. It's harder to sit in the background unless you're listening to somebody else give like a lecture or something. And so, yes. um, so I was kind of forced to really put myself out there. Um, and that's, that, that was huge for me. Um, you know, I am still shy and I, if I don't feel comfortable around you, I'm probably not going to be as apt to, to be as forward and to speak and, and if I have to talk to you to try to advocate for myself, yeah, it's probably going to scare the hell out of me. But um, <coughs> I think I think that was really a big turning point for me as far as feeling a lot more confident to speak to speak in general, you know, and to conversate and to let people get to know me and to kind of speak my mind a little bit more. Speaking of this past year and being a good advocate, a subject that I have talked about recently without too much detail, but just in general, and I'm especially going to be interested to hear this answer because I live with you. So mm-hmm. to hear from your perspective will be interesting, but the pandemic really shut a lot of things down. It made things very difficult, especially for musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, what for you do you think you gained from this or how have you been taking care of yourself or what does that look like to you during these times? Well, first of all, I got to say um, for the musicians and the virtual choirs <clears throat> that have popped up now, I think that's really awesome. Um, the people kind of pivoted and started, I hate that word because everybody uses it, but in this case it kind of fits. People kind of pivoted and started, okay, if I can't perform, you know, for an audience in in person, I'm going to start using Zoom or Facebook video or YouTube or whatever to, or even Clubhouse in some cases to kind of do my craft. And, and I think that's awesome. I think, you know, it really, I think it helped everybody and people got to sing i have a friend she started a um she called it a coronavirus karaoke (coughs) excuse me she coronavirus karaoke group uh on facebook and it has over fifteen thousand members now and she simply started it because she was like hey i'm feeling really crappy and i want to just put a bunch get a bunch of people together and have a karaoke party and we can't do that now because we're all stuck Mm -hmm. inside yeah and people were posting videos daily of everything from they were singing with their kids and it was great it was so uplifting and so you know watching other people figuring out how to stay happy you know during that time helped me a lot um making sure that i was reaching out to people the one thing that i have kind of learned or sort not that i didn't know it before but when you see all the death and stuff that's going on with COVID right now, and you see people being affected by it, um, <clears throat> I know you've lost some people to it as well. Yeah, absolutely, you yeah. And, um, it makes you realize, hey, you know what? We're all having trouble, and we all need to be connected. And so, you know, making sure to make a point to reach out to those people, you know, yeah. to to stay connected. Um, you know, making sure that. I immerse myself in as many things positive as I can. You know, we did our, it, it sounds really silly, right? But we did our waffle and cartoon days. Yeah. For a and while a we had, for a while we had waffle Wednesday, you know, we had waffle and yeah, cartoons. Right. We would watch, we would have waffles and I don't know why waffles. I'm not sure why we it just associated with cartoons, you know, it's just that uh, we, we would <laughs> watch Garfield or waffles and we watched Jetsons Garfield or Jetsons or Flintstones or Scooby-Doo. And, and you know. as silly as it sounds, it really does make a difference because it was a way <laughs> just to say, you know what? Life doesn't have to be taken seriously 24 hours a day. No. We and we've, we found break. yeah we found and we still are even though things are opening up because we're not really still going out and about a lot because we don't feel safe and right you know so you got to find things you got to find your own fun make your own fun 
you know yes. you know we had all of our themed date nights with the you know different movies and food and whatever and you know we we did what we could to make things fun and different around here and and that so you asked me a question that i guess i didn't really completely answer um because you've been here <coughs> excuse me because you've been here i think that i i don't know if i would have been able to take care of myself as well because right. i would have been by myself i think you know i really feel for my single friends who just don't live with anybody you know it's one thing if you have a roommate but if you don't and you're just by yourself in your own space i think i would have gone crazy by now yeah. um <clears throat> but having you around making a point of having connections both with each other and as a couple and and separately you know the church life groups have been amazingly helpful when we've done the small groups and those connections um the only thing i really miss that i haven't been able to find a substitute for is like you can't there's i can't make music right now i can't sing with people um you know i can't be a part of anybody's worship team right now and that i very much miss um and it makes finding a church really hard too because as we search for a church home because that is such a huge part of 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 uh of of church for me is actually worshiping god and and getting together with people and helping them to to worship as well and you know so it's very sad for me that i can't do that um but so yeah i guess really just trying to find as much happy as i can even in the small things absolutely been what's what i've had to do and one of my favorite parts of the show (coughs) my absolute favorite part because it freaks people out on the spot last chance say whatever you want to say and go Hmm. be good to each other (laughs) um really i think that's the mantra of everything you know be be kind to each other be accepting of people's differences be be nice man we have so much so much um yuck so much so people are being so mean these days to everybody everybody's fighting about whether you should vaccinate whether you shouldn't you know love people let them make the choices that they're going to make you may you you're allowed to be concerned you know and if you feel like you really want to say hey have you looked at this thing and if they aren't interested let it go and just be be accepting of where people are instead of calling people out on what they haven't done or what they should do or what they you feel that they need to be doing <laughs> um yeah just try to meet people where they're at you know we we don't do enough of that completely agree with that which has absolutely nothing to do with me but it's just a thing it's an it's a no, running it's, theme that i yeah, that i feel very strongly um right. you know we it's just we and 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 check on your friends <laughs> Yeah. Especially these days, these days people are sad. People could be sick. Maybe you don't know. Check on your right. friends. You know, right. make a point of 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 making sure that you know how everybody in your camp is and where they are. And by the so, way, hmm. do you realize we're almost at the hour mark that we just did this for about an hour? Mm, I know, and I feel bad because I rambled a lot. No, you're good. <laughs> I just I want I want I want to prove a point before I shut this microphone down. Was that as bad as you thought it was going to be? No, it was actually easier than Told I thought you. it was going to be, and I wasn't Told sure what you. it was going to be like because before we went to do this, we were kind of like, hmm, I want to do this today. Yes. Uh, you know, we 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 are sort of sleepy around here, and we're kind of trying to <clears throat> dust Get off cobwebs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. All right. Well, but yeah. Thank you for uh, thank you for interviewing me. It's been fun. All right. Now I'm gonna like go see you sometime later today and take the long track from the studio to uh, the living room, which is like 30 feet away. Anyway, okay. Peace out, Girl Scout. Love you. Bye. I am so proud of her. I was so happy to have her on the show this week. Amy Billman 
for more information about what she's involved with, speeddots.com. Definitely check her out there. And seriously, she is such a hard worker and dedicated person. And I'm not just saying that because I live with her, although I am proud to be her future husband. And she has really been the inspiration for this podcast and being a producer and being involved with my various projects uh, from my radio music show to this podcast. So thank you to Amy. Make sure you reach out to her, email her, amy at amybillman.com. That's amy at amybillman.com. And I will see you next week.